You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Good morning. Oh my God, did you guys get a ton of candy trick-or-treating or what? <laughs> uh, you know what? We did the old put the dish out in front of the house and, and went over to a little Viking football party. And uh, we I saw a ton of trick-or-treaters. I haven't seen that many in years. Yeah, you know, we had uh, 146 last year. This year I broke 126. So it was actually down a little bit. And then about the time the Viking game started, everything uh, slowed way down. But I I give out the big candy bars, so I get a lot of the kids that will come up with their buddies, and they're like, see, I told you he gives the big candy bars. I uh, I heard there was a shortage of candy. I was actually walking through a, a CVS or something. I mean, every aisle, I mean, it was completely bare. So I don't know if you got your big candy bars or not, Andy. Well, when you do it the day of Halloween, that's what happens, Chris. I did it actually the day after, but the, 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 oh, I I was shopping like for I went a week ahead of time just to make sure they had Kit Kats. Everybody last year wanted Kit Kats, right, the big ones, and uh, so I went early to get Kit Kats, and then they had them, and then everybody this year went nuts. I buy these really big sour Airheads. You know, um, and all the kids go nuts for those. So when you say in big candy bars, are you talking like the ones you get in a movie theater or like a normal one that you buy at the store? Not take away my thunder. Uh, they're big to me. Right. I, uh, I, I tape two little mini bars together, the fun size ones, and I call them big bars. See? And then and nobody questions me. I was going to say, your idea of big, there's there's those little bite-sized ones, and then there's those little ones, and then there's like a normal one, and then there's like a, a theater one. I don't so, know where to get the theater ones. Trust me, I'd get them if I could find them. I just don't know where to find them. Hey, I do want to say something about uh, Mr. Prasky. I think on our little intro there, it had a little statement about Zillow, and um, yeah, there it is. I think people... Uh, might want to uh, listen a little more to Mr. Andy because I think he was talking about this not too long ago. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. <laughs> yeah, and this is uh, exactly what's happening. So Zillow did cut their program completely, done, zero out of, out of it. Now uh, they're going to get rid of those properties, and it's kind of interesting because there is a big market out there um, the the big rentals and the REITs and the the BlackRock type people that are 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 buying up uh, tons and tons of houses for rentals. You know the when you look at the the business um, model, um, you know in, in any industry where there's um, what they consider to be high commissions, right? There's a low barrier to entry. They say like real estate's so easy to get into. Everybody makes tons of money. It's overpaid. There's you know, it's just a big, fat, gluttonous industry, and we're gonna we're gonna take our, uh, you know, tech wizards and go in there and, and steal all this money from these, you know, used car salespeople. No offense, used car salespeople. Um, we're gonna take all their money away from them. They don't need to make that much money, and so then they start going in there and trying to commoditize 
an industry, which is fine. I under, I do understand that. There are times where if you buy a Wall Street built house, you know, one of the big nationals, you, you can commodity pricing, you know, I mean, in my opinion. So what happens is um, over time, a commodity builder, commodity website, you have a commodity. But when you do custom and you do lake homes or you do the west side of town versus the east side of town, or a, there's lakefront properties side by side, they look the same on paper, but one lake is desirable, one lake is not. Um, you know, the, 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 the concept of what they're doing is really valid. What they did is they harnessed it wrong. I think they could have harnessed real estate agents and enhanced it with a real estate agent's opinion, like saying, hey, this is what our opinion is on paper. Click this guy's number and then get the actual value based on a per local professional's opinion with boots on the ground. Because I just don't think you can sell everything at 10,000 feet. Otherwise, we'd, we'd go to Walmart to buy our houses. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I I think, you know, I was just talking to someone yesterday and they said, yeah, we had uh, Zillow can come in and buy ours. Our friend did it. And about a month later, they turned around and listed it for 10000 more than they paid them. And I was like, I mean, so I think some people were getting some pretty darn good deals um, on some of those buyouts that we weren't right. knowing about. And but I think you... You know, you can't you can't be in that business for long if you're just giving away the houses. Yeah, well, right. And that, we were we were talking about that too because there was a trend going on there where there was um, the um, properties are being purchased for let's say four hundred thousand, and then they list them the next week for four hundred and ten thousand. What we forget is that they back out twelve percent of expenses against the sale price. They want the sale price to record higher. And they back out basically their expenses like a real estate commission. And so that's where their profit hides. So even if they listed it at what they paid for it, in most cases, they're pretty close to making money because there's you know anywhere from a 5 to 12% markup or, or discount, if you will, that they're providing you. So there, there would be a business model to be had, Chris, where you um, were in an industry or a market where prices were consistently going up like we've had the last few years, that environment provides a very lucrative, safe um, investor, um, you know, kind of environment where you can buy things knowing that it's going to be worth more in a year or six months and they can buy and flip and sell and even work as razor thin as a 7% margin because if you think about it and not to keep babbling on here, but if they can buy a house and flip it in three months and they can do that four times a year, they're actually not making 7% on their money. They're probably making 28% on their money. Returns that these crazy investors like to see. And, and so what that allows a hedge fund guy or gal to do is take half of that, keep it, and still provide a 15 to 20% yield. And that that's it, guys, in a nutshell. That's the whole idea behind these guaranteed buys. Somebody's buying it to keep the commission. They're hoping to have salaried people that are just overhead that can get things sold for them, fixed up for them. And, and that was the whole business model. And there, there's a ton of people trying to do it right now, and they're all losing money. That's, hey, our, our, our market, though, uh, overall is, is still good, still strong. So that's look at, good. Look at Nick's mask. Yeah. <laughs> good looking. Good looking guy there. All right, let's get into the show. So obviously me, I'm very uh, pro-freedom. And uh, tomorrow on uh, November 5th is Guy Fawkes Day. He was a famous dude that uh, went against uh, the England Parliament 
in the 1600s because they were persecuting Catholics. So he tried assassinating the, the government, head of government. But now this symbol of uh, his mask they use for the gunpowder plot is uh, used for freedom and going against oppressive governments. So today, in honor of uh, the 5th of November, we're going to talk about uh, how we can get more freedom in real estate. Um, move off the grid, maybe. Do you think there's any, yeah. I don't know if there's any freedom, any freedom in real estate. Andy, you got some ideas here to well, you know, anything else I can, from your government. Well, I can tell you this: the more you like apps, and the more you like, you know, and consumers go to the apps for opinions. What's going to happen is they'll start regulating those apps, and then there's going to be limiters, like for an example, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. I don't know if you remember this, but coming out of the, the housing crisis back in 2010 said that they were okay with and interested in talking about limiters on the upside of a market to control areas that they're financing that would, would control the amount of house appreciation that could be had. And they wanted to limit it so that it went up slowly so that they didn't overinvest or underinvest and, and they could actually be competitive in those markets. Um, ladies and gentlemen, that is the government getting involved in your business. That is people getting involved in trying to regulate what you're doing, how you're doing it. They're limiting the profit that you could make. If you buy something right and you sell it to somebody at a profit, that's the whole capitalistic in, you know, environment that we've been born into here, where that's what this is all about, is the ability to get ahead. And, and there are a lot of people that don't um, win in that environment because they're not willing to take the risks that other risk takers are. In a, in a true capitalistic market, you have winners and losers. Um, and, and sometimes when you're, when you're, um, people get jealous and say, Hey, this isn't fair. Well, that's not the way it works. You need to jump in and get on the, the bandwagon yourself, buy properties, right? Sell them correctly and, and make the profits just like the other people are doing. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? And if you don't like it, rent and just be okay with paying 5% more per year for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, the, the government could, um, stop the real estate market in a in a millisecond if they wanted to so i don't and i don't know if we could ever get around it, it would take a while um to get around it real fast but they could put a lot of things in place that would uh stop us right in our tracks for sure what you're saying what was that when you say not involved in the housing market you're talking about the the guarantee when they have these uh, GSEs, government sponsored entities like Fannie Mae, Ginnie Mae, you know, all those companies that are out there that are basically insured by the federal government. Um, that's the ones you're talking about, right? Absolutely. I mean, we're yeah. we're done if they play if they played games with us. I mean, I I think they could halt the the market like that. I mean, well, I mean, and, but the government this, controls it, everything. It, they, they can, but if they killed housing, for an example, you know, and right now they were just saying that housing is 20% of our GDP, okay? So even if housing, you know, falls down, it, it's going to put us into such a heavy recession um, just because the numbers don't work anymore. And what happens is bankers, like I just read a statistic the other day that was saying like percent of local small town bankers, like credit union and, you know, um, style bankers, believe that there's going to be some kind of a housing correction between now and 2026 and they're just their, their instincts, right? That it's, and, and all I'm saying is that that's such a cat, uh, uh, 
oh geez, it's good now, it's gonna get worse. It No, it's gonna adjust. I think what's gonna happen is this, guys. If we don't make widgets and add value um, to things and all work hard and provide something to the world, what happens is things recede. You can't sit at home. You can't pay everybody to bail them out. You can't, that's not a real world. That market doesn't work for very long. And then you're completely like Greece and you're broken. You have nowhere to go except for beg everybody for money. You know, so it gets to a point of where you have to produce. And we're at a point now where I think it's only 30% of the people that are out there. When you look at, and I'm just, you know, quoting things out of the newspapers I read. Um, Associated Press, I believe, had an article that they talked about this. Only 30% of the people surveyed that had jobs believe that the economy is in a good place right now. They truly believe that we're like limping along, trying to figure out what's going to happen next to get it thriving again. And so it's, a, I don't know, it's just a weird spot. So I guess it's easy to pick on, you know, saying, hey, housing is 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 not going to be solid. But I disagree. I think it's one of the only, the solid investments you can make. Yeah. Well, I think I, I've got a lot of people that are trying to put money into property and uh, stuff. They're, they're more nervous about the other side. But I think the other thing here is, is that you can look at a housing correction and everyone's worried about it. Oh, I can't buy now or I, or I can't sell now because there's this housing, you know, correction that's going to happen. But ask yourself this is how long are you going to be there? Because a housing correction is just kind of a little blimp in the road. You know, if, if you're going for the full Monty and you're staying there and you're moving to your next place, you're going to be able to get through all that little blip in the road. It's just like a stock market. You know, it's yeah. the same thing, you know, eventually just hang, hang tight and it'll, it'll end up good for you. But if you're planning on, you know, buying and selling every two years, well, yeah, that might be a, a different uh, strategy you might want to use. Absolutely. Okay, this next segment, we're going to talk about property taxes. And do you really own your home? Even if it's all paid off, you still have to pay to the tax man and the government can take it. Yes, you do. They can put, uh, actually, they can take your property away from you. I think, what is it, Andy, five years uh, that they can uh, actually do a, a tax forfeiture uh, on your property. I've uh, had some interesting uh, situations when you when you talk about like a property's paid off. Uh, I got a really good client of mine that uh, talks about this all the time and he doesn't own anything on all of his properties and investment stuff, but he owes about 400 and some thousand every year uh, on that property when it properties, when it comes to tax time. And so it's never like you, you own your property outright. You have expenses. Not only do you have uh, taxes, but you have insurance on the property. And then you got to maintain the thing, and you also have to pay for utilities, most likely. And uh, had another client that uh, had their property paid off. There, it was costing them almost seven thousand dollars a month to hang on to. So um, obviously, we got to live and we got to do those things. But uh, yeah, there is there is other expenses, and uh, I mean, you do obviously you own your home. But uh, there is expenses to be able to be covered. You, you've, uh, you've paid off all your obligations, right? You've, you know, when you own your, owe the contractor money, you've paid off the land. Um, the tax obligation is something that goes on forever. Um, and, and, and that's why it's so important where you see, you know, somebody that says, you know, I'm going to retire. 
And you, why do all the people retire in Florida? Or why are people moving out to South Dakota? Or why are people, and it's, they're, they're following the, the not go away taxes. Think about this. So now if you fast forward, you're a young person now, you fast forward to now you're, you know, whatever age you retire and you have a limited amount of income coming in. And let's say you own a million dollar house free and clear. And you're like, wow, I am so successful. And then you're still paying $1,100, $1,200 a month in taxes on top of having, um, you know, another $1,000 a month probably to carry the property for fuel and maintenance uh, minimum, right? You, you have to have a retirement plan that pays you about $24,000 a year just to retire and own that property that you've already paid for. So what ends up happening is you see a lot of people saying, well, hey, if I'm going to retire, I'm going to retire in an area that has no uh, state income tax or has low property taxes or has, you know, and so they strategize and that goes into their formula of where they want to retire because you look at that expense of $24,000 a year. Let's say you found a state that the tax obligation is only $5,000 a year and you live in the same square footage. And then you can take advantage of some other alternative energy sources and you spent more on the house. You spent the million one because now you have lower maintenance items on the house. Your overhead is, let's say, you know, five, six hundred dollars a month versus two thousand. And and that's where, you know, I just, I you know, it seems like it's so simple when you talk about it out loud. But there's so many people that like build their dream home in, in Minnesota and they have, you know, this big, beautiful house and the taxes are just hammering them. You know, and it's not getting any better, guys. It seems to be getting worse right now. So until they figure all this crap out, you know, it's going to be probably a more tax pro friendly environment. And that's why you're probably not going to see a lot of hiring in Minnesota. I had a, a client of mine that ended up taking a lot less money for their home because they just didn't want to deal with that monthly uh, obligation and they just wanted to be done with it. And it's really interesting people um, get, it's kind of like, hey, I'll give away a couple hundred thousand to get rid of 6,000 a month. It's just, that just, I don't know, that that theory doesn't really sit with me, but I, I suppose if you see, you know, you have a set income and it just keeps whittling away at it, you know, you, you just look at it a little differently. Sure. Well, you know, and then you, you start looking at, hey, you, you go down to the, the county, um, you know, buildings and you look at the local government and they've got three new plows there that are 200000 a piece. And you say, who, who do you think is paying for that? You are. And they're running down the road in those fancy plows and they're doing all the things and they're adding new light poles and they're, you know, making things look fancy. But you got to remember that you're paying for all those things. You're paying for all those salaries. And so, you know, there are parts of the country that have less government. Um, and then you plow your own road or you plow your own access and you don't have a lot of um, amenities. And that's what you have to decide as a, as a consumer is, where do I want to live? Where there's lots of government-rich amenities? Or is it like, you know, Nick is kind of saying where there's more of a freedom base where you're like, hey, stay out of my business. I live out in the country. I don't need anybody, you know. Andy, you're talking about, um, you know, costs and uh, how to live and where to choose uh, where to live. Nick, what um, uh, what, do you, what suggestions do you have for me and Andy when we uh, – when we're looking for a beach to go to, uh, where where can we live? Yeah, well, Andy brought up the plow, the local government having 200000 you know, spending all your taxpayer money. It was funny. In Italy, you'd see them, uh, some police driving in, in Lamborghinis. They have police Lamborghinis, you know. Italy has one of the worst bureaucracies, like, in the world. Like, a big percentage of their population works for the government. 
but places where you can retire and uh, not pay property taxes, uh, Monaco, very expensive in Europe. Uh, it's a tax haven. Malta, Georgia, and Oceania. You can go to the Fiji Islands, Cook Islands, obviously in the Caribbean, the, the Cayman Islands, Turks and Caicos. And then Asia, um, Sri Lanka, United Arab Emirates, and a couple other Gulf countries. But I was going to ask you guys, has the property taxes always been like this in uh, the United States? Or back in the day, did you actually own your property? When did this tax come in? Do you know? Do you know history, man? Uh, yeah. So back in the day when they were, this is no joke, they developed the railroads, right? And they started going from New York City. And the development companies were kind of around and the government wanted people to go west and stake a claim on some land. And they would, as an immigrant, you could now go out and take the train out to Minnesota and jump off the train and say, I want this 40 acres, and the government would give it to you as long as you'd be willing to pay the taxes on it. So the tax revenue started coming back in. So the railroads were very predominant part of developing. They were trying to get commerce moving back and forth, you know, and, and that's where, you know, things like, like meats and vegetables and things like that, you didn't think about it, but they had to get the Midwest to get their vegetables out to the coast, right? Where the, you know, and, it, and I'm kind of repeating something you could watch it, sure. But, you know, the idea there is that as back in the day, most of our founding fathers that were, of our families that were, you know, three, four, five generations back, got the land for free. And they got it from the government. And it was given to them as long as they agreed to pay some kind of a tax on profiting from that land. And so it was a whole different scenario back then. And, you know, that's why when people complain today about stuff, I'm like, you know, boy, they had it pretty sweet. And a lot of families in the U.S., when they sell their farm for millions of dollars, and now that family has wealth that they never would have had without that opportunity. So it's hard to be in some respects. But I think that the, there's other respects where you, you say, hey, are, are they outreaching their, you know, their, their what we consider to be the norm of, of reach? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, this segment is about ridiculous rules and laws involving uh, real estate. Andy? I would love to get the graphic program for this uh, shindig we do here and make something fun for Nick. You should do that. You'd, uh -huh. you're, you're actually really good at that, too. You, should, you, can, uh, you got some really good animation stuff. Andy does and a lot of here's Nick. Yeah, here's Nick. Boy, I, 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 I. We got to come up with something that would be, you know, funny. Anyway, um, what what am I supposed to talk about? I forgot. I was so disturbed by that picture. Just like ridiculous real estate uh, laws or rules that you've uh, came across and an analogy for them. Um, you know, I think easement law is can be kind of ridiculous. Um, I think there are some rules, you know, um, possession um, and and talking about like. Um, you know, right aways, um, talking about, you know, like the government um, having the rights to come in and, and take land from people for the better cause of the community, forcing them to move. That's been weird and or very disruptive over the years. You know, you look at some of these documentaries about how 94 cut right through Minneapolis and, and, and St. Paul and separated these families that were used to be two blocks apart from each other. And now they're a mile away because you can't just walk down the street to your neighbor. Um, 
so some of that stuff I think is is interesting. Um, yeah, I think Andy, you hit on you know um, eminent domain. I think that is an interesting thing, and it is. Uh, I mean, you can you can buy land and you can own it in your family forever and ever and ever, and then all of a sudden the city could say, you know what, it's better, it's a lot better for the city uh, to be able to have your place and put up a bus station than for you to have your old family farm, and so we can take that away from you. So it's uh, th that's a little. I, I mean. I, you could call it ridiculous from the landowners uh, side of it. And then from the city that happened in Prior Lake, actually, uh, not the bus station, but they did go after someone's land. And then the, they, I mean, the they came back and really, I mean, they just got blasted on it. And then all of a sudden uh, they ended up getting the sellers on board and they ended up kind of redoing some of their building and, and call it a building and, they just used it because uh, they wanted a road to go through it. And mm -hmm. so they used it kind of more as a garden plot and mm -hmm. rather than what they were going to use it for, but it, it kind of made the rest of uh, everyone settle down because the owner then agreed to it and it wasn't taking it away from them. Well, you know, and I, I had a situation where we were um, in a city that I live here or in, I don't want to get in trouble. Um, and the, the county came in and, and took over a county road and or it was it already had control of it excuse me and they decided that they wanted to at the intersection on this very busy road by busy road decide to add walkways and everybody in that community has already decided and learned over the years you just don't go that way you go around and whatever so they were coming along and they started staking and they were telling everybody hey we're going to improve the road in front of you we're going to upgrade your sewer system because um, that needs to be done anyway and in the effort of you know improvement and the better for the city we're all a sidewalk and all these houses that were along there had a um you know a row of trees or some kind of a screen natural screen driveway would punch through the screen um now they came along and not only did they clear cut all of that out of the way then they put the stakes up into their yard almost 20 feet off the front door of some of these houses and the the uh, so one of my clients that I sold the house to calls me and says, "Hey, what is this? And why is the stake way up in my yard?" And I said, "You got to look at the what they're proposing. They were proposing a sidewalk, and not only did they want a sidewalk, and they didn't want to do just a four foot wide sidewalk. They wanted to do an eight foot wide sidewalk so that they could run a city plow up the sidewalk and not have to deal with um or whatever else. Oh my gosh." That sidewalk took away this person's whole front yard. And so where eminent domain helped, let's say, so many families, you know, now they have a place to walk to nowhere, which it doesn't lead to anywhere. There's no path to a school. There's no path to a park. It's just adding a sidewalk to add a sidewalk. And they devalued that person's house significantly. And so then there was a lawsuit. They hired attorneys. Um, they brought me in. Three of the neighbors brought me in as an expert witness showing that the valuation of their homes went down significantly and guess what the homeowners won and the homeowners got really nice settlements that the county said well hey if we're devaluing the house this um you know we might as well buy uh one of the houses help you sell one of the houses and the other person took a settlement so it's pretty sweet yeah and i and i think that is one thing that i maybe uh didn't mention that you you can negotiate when they're taking your land away or refuse to do it. There's a process in which to try to get more. And typically cities don't want that fight out in the open 
because when it gets out in the open and it's a big, big government going after a poor little homeowner that's been living there a long time, that usually doesn't go very well. So right. they, they definitely try to deal with you. Um, another example of that is in, in Minneapolis. I mean, where they were taking out uh, people's land, uh, businesses, and, and making the bike paths, where they're given a whole new lane uh, for all these bike paths that I've never seen used yet. Um, maybe maybe they have, but um, they uh, and, and then not only did they do that, redo the streets, then they charged those businesses to do it. <laughs> and I mean, it's like a double whammy. I mean, take some of their land and charge them. Uh, for it, and it wasn't really their land, but it was it was you know the right of way, and they just moved it out. But everything kind of moved over, and uh, yeah. it's just uh, sometimes it, it can get kind of nasty, and it kind of comes back to your your man guy there, Nick. Uh, you know, it is what it is, and the government kind of takes it, and you kind of got to deal with it because I don't think you can't beat them. Well, you know, and that's the funny thing is they put on these public forums and act like they can, um, like they want your input. They don't want your input what they're going to do and they do it in a public format so you vote for them again so they don't look like creeps um but anyway i was going to say one last thing on that uh, uh, topic back when i was doing a lot more with land development i would help farmers um we'd take their farms we'd plat out some you know lots we'd go to the city and what was always interesting was when we would do it in that order like we would you know do the platting first where we'd find out what we could do we'd, we'd get the engineers out there look at it do all the right work and then we'd go in and file for the application to replat the land and then uh, it was interesting talking about right-of-ways how much when negotiating with with a municipality they would ask for versus if we'd go in as a farmer and say hey we're looking for a tax write-off you know hey this is i know you guys are talking about widening the road um we'd like you to purchase our right-of-ways from us the farmer gets the right-of-way purchased from them versus the developer gets it taken from them and so it's, well, if you want this approved, we're going to need, you know, this quarter of an acre over here. We need this two acres back here along the right of way. So we can, in the future, if we want to widen it versus if the farmer goes in, the farmer will get paid for that land. So it's really interesting. So talking about ridiculous, it's, it's like if you're for profit, then they penalize you. But if you're the, oh, I'm a poor farmer. And I don't know any poor farmers, by the way. Most of the farmers I know right now have their pockets so full of cash they can't even sell. So... And, and and their pockets will be filled with more cash if they actually uh, sell their land. I got a couple things. Um, it was funny. You said the, the homeowner got a settlement, Andy, for the, the walkway. But the settlement was from the other taxpayers in the community, right? It wasn't from the you know the government. It's, it's the taxpayer paying for that. Another thing in Italy, it uh, it is ridiculous to do any sort of work on your own home like obviously you understand the facade like uh, the outside is like historical and they want to keep that you know how it is but even the inside to like move a, a thing around to take out a wall you need to go through a crap ton of government it takes like six months they need to inspect every little thing and uh, a really ridiculous rule is in every Italian apartment from the living room to the bathroom you have to have two doors so they do like these weird sliding doors to make sure the rule fits, but you can't have like a bathroom one door away from the living room. Know what I mean, it's it's really weird. Like so, you have like weird, funky designs in the in the homes. So that's. Apples gives us the pleasure of having to have each contractor. Um, so you not only do you have to be licensed with the state, you have to be licensed in their city. 
So Minneapolis is on its way. Enjoy it, guys. I was yeah, going to care for man, because some of those guys want to take all the control from you, you know? No, well, and, and, and they allow you not to get paid for rent, and then they're just fine. Totally fine with that. We're, so. we're, we're starting to oh, sound like a couple of opinionated old guys here. <laughs> well, that's ridiculous. I just I was getting my, my hair cut the other day, Looks and good. I was talking to uh, this gal, and she was telling me about her aunt who has uh, an apartment building that she she bought a long time ago, and you know that's her whole income's on that. And there's like 30 units, and 15 of the people aren't paying. 15, but it's like she has expenses <laughs> to pay, and uh, she can't do nothing about it. And this is an older lady that doesn't know much about, you know, internet or emails and how to do stuff. And so she's had to hire people to come in and try to, you know, find out how these people can get money in which to be able to pay her. And there is programs, but nobody's incentivized really to do the program. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And it, so then they just stall. Yeah, and then when the government gets it, then they then they slow pay you. So we had someone. It took us seven months uh, to get some money from them, and thank God, at least we got some, you know. And and now they have to start doing it again because they're four months behind. I mean, it's absolutely. I think I think you're going to see. I think you're going to see Chris a lot of uh, apartments get condoed out, and where they'll be uh, do a contract for deed on each unit, um, and so there's no such thing as a lease. Because leasing laws have become so ridiculous that it'll get to the point of where people will say, yep, you can uh, do a contract to own. Um, it's a one-year contract, two-year contract. Um, here's the price. Here's the terms. You, you miss a payment, you get evicted. And or you not only do you miss or you, you lose all your equity. Um, you know, and it'll get to a point where people can't, you can't live for free. Unless they want to put up big government housing buildings and then play those games where nobody pays to live there. Um, that's fine. I mean... Some people need it, but on the other hand, when people are milking the system like they are, I think there's a lot of people right now taking full advantage of the opportunities in front of them. Okay. Is, uh, uh, look, the government, I think it's a real good thing. I know, Nick, this whole show is kind of based on, you know, freedom and government and, and this and that. And that, I think, uh, to add to Andy's analogy, uh, that that is the, and my rant together is, how they are totally, I mean, and, and well, let me add on there that it's the taxpayers paying for uh, that person's rent uh, to me, you know, but in the meantime, what if I can't financially handle it and I start uh, not being able to make my payments? I mean, it's just a, it's just a nasty cycle. And every one of the people that have, like been in mine, and I don't know the other ones, they're all working. They're all working. I mean, if you're if you're not working and the pandemic stopped you and you're sick, okay, I totally get that. But it's always every rule they throw out there, it's totally reused and uh abused every time. Agreed. I'm starting to get like you, Andy. I'm gonna I'm gonna I might get fired up about Zillow here too. I uh I like getting fired up. Okay, I want to go through life as oatmeal, man. Get excited. Put some sauce on your life. All right, let's uh, let's uh, move on to a positive topic. Where in Minnesota can you get some some more freedom? Are, are there certain counties or cities where they leave you alone, and it's a good place to move to for the future? Hmm. I don't know about that. I, I don't know if you 
I mean, I'll tell you how you can get uh, uh, some more freedom is to serve your country, become 100% disabled, and then you don't have any property tax. Um, it's kind of a crappy way in which to be able to get to that, but uh, it is kind of a nice, it's a good benefit for the people that are uh, protecting our country, though, and uh, and helping us out. And then there's levels of it, depending on how disabled you are, uh, you can get reductions on, on your tax, but... I mean, I've sold the house where it's before it says, you know, there's no tax on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get calls and, oh, my gosh, there's no tax. What, what they do? They screwed up. And it uh, must be a 100% disabled vet mm -hmm. uh, to, to be able to have that. But when you get tricked is when it's like 50%. And maybe that agent doesn't even know it or didn't know from the listing side. And all of a sudden it says the taxes are only $1,600 and everyone else is like $4,000. Uh, that, that, that becomes a problem. If you, uh, as an agent, don't do your homework. I think I think the other thing you can do, guys, is um, you know take a look at the area that you want to live. Um, look at the zone. So different areas and cities are zoned differently. Um, so you can get away with um, you know things in one area that you may not be able to get away with in others. And so depending on your activities you're looking to do on your property or your freedoms you'd like. Um, when you say freedom, um, I think of the people that like to put a bunch of crap out in their yard. Or like to, you know, build a treehouse without a permit, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Which is, I think, the farther that you get out, the more rural that you get, the the less. Like for an example, like even in Alexandria, I know um, you, you don't even have the city doesn't even get involved in ninety percent of the the situations. It's the and so the county up there, Douglas County, controls everything. I mean, from you know the what you can do with your trees to how you know your building permits to your land development to your you know you name it. And, and so, you know, you get into certain areas where it, it jurisdiction and government control is done at different levels. So sometimes when there's a, like, for example, a big county, you know, covering, let's say, 30 cities, um, that county probably doesn't have as close of a watchful eye on you as you would, per se, if you were in the city of Minneapolis, where they not only do they have people watching, I have people patrolling, looking for people doing work and verifying that they're pulling the right permits and doing the, you know. And, and people that, dropping off people dropping off couches in front of your property. And you, if you don't get rid of it, you get fined for it. Uh, I don't know who that's happened to. Oh, that's me. Yeah. So it is. It, some of that stuff is absolutely crazy. But the other thing is, you know, when you're talking about freedom and as Andy was talking about it, it kind of came to me, but there's covenants, there's associations, uh, there's restrictions, you know, that Andy spoke of, but the more, the less of those that you have. So if you're in a neighborhood uh, bear path, for instance, there's going to be a lot of restrictions on what you can do because there's an association and there's covenants. So it might even say the type of roofing material that you have to have. It might have, it might say um, that you can't leave any uh, overnight vehicle in the driveway, and so as as you move out, you usually don't find that. You know, you find you start finding a lot more Fred Sanfords out in um, you know Candy Yohai County than than yeah. you will in Hennepin County. Yeah, they, they uh, yeah, there you go. Um, you know, living in there. a park in a van. That's you know. That's me soon. Hey, I think I, I've been doing a little research on there. I've got one of these bad boys coming in January. Andy, we'll go for a ride. But anyways, um, the uh, I was checking into like national parks and stuff like that. I mean, yep. there's a lot of places that you can stay for 
free and, uh, and, and just hang out. So I guess there is a way I uh, just have to pay for gas. How, how's diesel going right now? Uh, you know, pretty good in the mid threes. But I, you know, so, I, I love, I got a D he's picking on me cause I have a diesel truck and, uh, I, I got a three liter turbo, um, GM, uh, Sierra and it, it, I, I average like 27 miles a gallon. So I'm more than happy. I love it. I can, I can go for, I don't have to think about filling my tank anymore. I just, I go and go and go. And, you know, it's kind of like having a little hybrid or something because my, my last truck where I was getting, you know, 12 miles a gallon with the big 6.2 liter, whatever in it, you know, had all the snort you wanted, but this, this turbo diesel is really nice too. It's got a, a, a literally a turbo on it. So when you need it, it, it kicks. I'm not making fun of you. My the thing I'm getting actually has diesel in it as well, so I'm just trying to figure out my 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 cost. You'll you'll uh, pull up to the pump a couple times where you're like, oh crud, I'm at a gas tank and I'm not at my diesel. You know, you know, it, you gotta. It, it is weird, especially when you're switching back and forth. I drive in my wife's car versus my truck, and you, you got to pay attention. It's it's expensive. I've heard to, to pump out your tank. I'm donating my properties to my charity rather than depreciating those properties. Because if I donate a property, let's say I buy a house subject to, okay? I, I, I hold the deed and I go, you know, I'm gonna transfer the deed to my charity so I'm no longer the owner. Guess what I get? I get a 100% tax write-off for that property for donating it to my charity. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can, uh, you, you can do that, but obviously you don't have the property anymore. So anything that you, uh, uh, yeah. gain, I mean, that's just a, that's just a, might be a, a tax game, uh, to play with something that maybe doesn't have uh, value to it, uh, mm -hmm. long-term value, because if you, if you donate it, that means you're not getting nothing out of it. And, you know, I don't know if I spend 300,000 on something and then just donate it. I mean, obviously, I have a tax deduction. I can donate that to Andy's charity as well and do the same thing. Oh, I, mean, I, know, I, I don't think point, he's, he's not as smart as point, he thinks he is. Oh, sure. Go ahead. The point, the point of these uh, social medias is like how we can not pay taxes or, or get more freedom in real estate. Yeah, but you take 100% write-off. But what's a write-off? You have to have other income. And so if you take the other income and then you get a fraction of a fraction of the write-off, versus depreciating it against your income over years. Depreciating against your income is the best scam in the world. I mean, you know, I think so over the years. So you have one year where you make an extra, you know, $25,000. Instead of paying the taxes on that 25,000, you depreciate your property over here a little bit more and it washes it out. It's, it's one of the best erasers on the old IRS uh, income, you know, sheet that you can, you can have. So 100% write off. And then you're also subjective to um, that year taxes that year's you know so i mean if you were exiting the the game i think that might work if you had a a big year you're a banger year but um anyway yeah i think too andy um you know the depreciation is is a big thing and during your earning years it's really good and i think the the cool thing is that depreciation um essentially goes bye-bye uh i think the thing we have to watch out for any of this stuff is we can't give uh legal or tax advice and so I, I careful when we're, we're, we're talking about this stuff, but 
when you uh, depreciate it down and then you, you basically die with those assets in your name, you know, that depreciation kind of flows in with what, you know, your heirs will end up getting, but you don't uh, end up paying that problem because when you depreciate, it just goes to your basis. And so you end up paying for it after when you sell that place instead. So, um, and you can depreciate properties and I, I, I don't want to get into it. We could have a, a tax accountant on because someone will do something. probably should actually, because that's kind of fun. I mean, if we want to have a controversial show um, about that is one of the best ways to do it. But I think that the, the key thing is, is that when you give it away, now you also lose the opportunity for the deductions, like the, you know, the traveling expenses, the improvement expenses. There's so many things that I think people, you know, um, in my opinion, double dip on like, oh, I, I bought enough carpet to redo my investment property. And then also there's enough to do their basement too, you know, that kind of crap. And, and so I think there's a lot of people that, are are um anyway people go to jail for that stuff. So you gotta be tax benefits for investing in real estate. As a real estate investor, if you buy one property, you just automatically become a small business owner. You can write off your home office, your cell phone bill, your home internet, things that you use every day anyway. You can also write off your mortgage interest, which is a lot of money, especially in the beginning. And you're not even paying it anyway, your tenant is paying it. You can also depreciate that asset. So all of that combined can actually offset your existing income, your W-2 income, your 1099 income. Uh, there's another uh, another case of uh, if you're if you're using you can use a percentage for what you're using for that property. You better be ready to explain right. that to the IRS. You're not just going to switch your utility bills all over to your investment <laughs> property. It just doesn't happen that way. But, well, that and you, you don't get to write off your interest on investment properties. So I don't know what she's saying. She, she's not correct. So this is where the internet, even though it's the internet, isn't always right. It's like, you got to think of the internet like this, Nick. Think of the internet as you're standing down in the street corner, downtown Minneapolis, and you're talking to people as they walk by. And you're going to have some people that are fantastically full of good information and accurate because they're you're catching the attorney that's walking down from his skyscraper to go grab a hot dog and walking back and then you're going to grab the guy that just thinks he knows what he's doing and he's down talking to that attorney because he's getting sued this is great this is what i wanted to do to show you guys are the professionals and and we're going after it that was a great analogy too we should have done andy's analogy for that okay next one on the street on. corner every day easily pull code violations from home for free. One, find your local county's code enforcement office and get their phone number. Step two, call them and request for all open code violations in your county for the past month and give them your email. Step three, get them emailed to you for free. Okay. <laughs> code violations. Are trying to see, is he a contractor looking for work? Or maybe he's trying to find a house that's going to be uh, condemned or something like that. But uh, I, I suppose you uh, could find that. And maybe maybe even as a realtor, here's one. If you can go get those code violations and then uh, as a service, because some people don't even know it or, or maybe have forgot about it or purchase a house, don't know about it. But as a realtor, you could give them that information uh, as, a, as a, hey, just wanted to let you know, the local realtor. Uh, that you have these things and I have contractors if you need them or help with them. Might be a marketing thing. 
now we plan to own this rental property and take out all of our cash in the deal after six months. We purchased this property at $120,000 with all our own cash and it was completely moldy. Mold remediation and renovations are estimated to be around $100,000, which we are getting from a private money loan. But the after repair value of the property is estimated to be around $300,000. After we fix this property up, we're going to rent it to tenants for about $2,500 a month. And after six months from the purchase date, we'll do a cash out refinance. That means we'll be able to take out a loan for 80% of the home value. 80% of $300,000 is $240,000, which will go into our pockets. This will let us take out all the cash we put in and also give us an extra thirty to 40000 that we can use. And it will give us another cash flowing rental property. Our $2,500 will cover our monthly mortgage and expenses and give us passive income. Follow to learn more. And she also forgot to tell you that she's getting a higher interest rate because now she's a rental property with 20% equity versus 50% equity or, you know, child refis can get expensive. Um, and on investment properties, the banks are not as, as comfortable with that as they are with your existing or our primary residence. But yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You you can do those things. I just want to know where she's finding houses for 120000 That's I was just going to say, that's number one thing right there is that you have to find the property first to be able to do that. And everything she's talking about is exactly right. And I'm glad she talked about the cash out refinance and six months because the lender won't do anything for six, six months on that. So uh, yeah, if you found it for 120 and you put in a hundred and you cash out refinanced, if it appraised at two, 300 to 240, you do get that money back. I mean, it, it does happen. And you know what, with rental uh, prices right now, it'd probably work out for you pretty damn good as well because well, a lot of rentals are used to crap too. No kidding. And I tell you what, the the other thing is though, like getting in for 120, if you were in Minneapolis or St. Paul right now, that house would probably end up in multiple offers for 280 and, and people, cause they know what it's worth fixed up. And then they estimate the, the repairs and they say, well, we'll do it all ourselves. And so they'll all of a sudden pay 280 for a house like that. So the money to be made, honestly, Chris, right now is if you could pick up a place for 120, that's wholesale. I'd wholesale it. You could probably make a hundred grand flipping it without touching it. You know, if you can find somebody dumb enough to sell for 120, I'd sell it as let them do the work themselves and sell it as a flip on the front. Every once in a while, you make sense. Nice job. Thank you. You ever heard of tax harvesting? <coughs> Andy? I haven't. The other stuff is, uh, yeah, for sure. 1031 exchange or like kind exchange is basically taking your property uh, that you have, investment property that you have, and moving it into a, a, another property of equal or greater value. And everything else has to be of equal or greater value, including equity, your loan, and, and the sale price of that. And then um, what she's talking about, too, is if you have a rental property, let's just say that you have a rental property down in Florida, and you've been using it as a, a, a rental, and you've been doing it for years and years and years, and then you decide to retire and move down there and then move into that property. Well, that's what happens is that you move into that property and now it becomes your homestead. Um, you got to be careful on that because you always have to be able to explain it. So yes. let's just say you went and bought a, a rental place down in Florida 
And two months later, you decided you, you exchanged it from another property here in Minnesota down to Florida. And it's a single family residence. And you just fixed it up and remodeled it and then said three months later, oh, I'm not going to rent it, never rented it and then moved into it. You're going to have a tax issue if you ever get called on it. You have to go buy that place down in Florida and continue renting it like you were going to be doing that. And then you can move into it later. Yeah, the rules are the rules. Um, when you get in trouble with the thing they, they talked about is your intent. Did you intend to screw them? Um, and they'll, penal they'll figure out a way to get you. Um, so what I would say is this. Um, if you say, well, hey, we bought this investment property. We depreciated it down to zero basis points. And then we decided to move into it as our primary residence. And we lived there the last two out of five years. And now we're going to go and we're going we're gonna to sell this property. Um, you got to remember that I believe you inherit the basis points too. If I'm not, and I'm not allowed to give legal advice or tax advice, I get it. But I believe if you've got it to zero, you own it at zero. So if you sell it for any kind of price, capital gains at a personal level. So you would have to 1031 exchange it just to avoid having um, that. And, and now people argue with me and will say, hey, every as a married couple, it's 500,000. As a single, it's 250,000. Um, I, I get it. But when you're switching category of property to benefit you from a tax perspective, you better have that sniff checked. You know what I mean? Make sure. Yeah, you just I mean, sometimes, you know, people try to play the tax games uh, with a lot of stuff and mm -hmm. you just have to really be careful with that. It's just not worth it. Uh, it they're just you're, you're not going to win. <laughs> you're not going to win on it. And eventually, if they if they get you, and let's just say that it was thirty thousand, you know, ten years ago, and they got you, thirty thousand now is one hundred and seventy-two thousand. You know, with all the penalties and interest that you've accrued on it, and that's where it gets people that they just what What do you do? You know, you're you're screwed. So it's better just to kind of uh, deal with the consequences and obviously work within their, what their rules are, but. Not to go crazy and um, be deceptive, and because you just gotta, it's gotta make sense. It's funny the the Pandora Papers came out recently. It's the the version 2.0 of uh, the Panama Papers about how the the rich people don't follow these rules. They're made for for everyone else. They they hide all their money and they get away with it because they have the lawyers and and whatnot. But the IRS they 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 take uh, the full weight on on everyone else. So. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to uh, end our, our our little freedom show here. The freedom fighter, Andy Prasky. I salute you, right, here we, go. we got some questions here. This was sent into us uh, over the weekend by Jackie. Jackie, uh, we are looking to buy land in another state than where we live. Our realtor isn't licensed in the other states we're looking at. When I find listings online, should we just go with the listing agent? We will most likely just use the land to camp on. So utilities are not a large concern. I think I think with what kind of property that you're looking for, I think your best bet is to go directly um, to the listing agent and uh, just, just be upfront and just kind of keep uh, stuff close to your vest. But when you're talking about land, it's probably a lower price to be able to um, have your agent refer someone to it. it it's you're probably just not going to get the um, service that you you want on it. So I would try to get on some sort of uh, system that gets your listings, and then 
uh, deal with that agent uh, that has it listed. So I, I'm going to be a little bit contrary. Um, I, I'm not afraid of dealing with a listing agent, but I'll tell you what, the phrase, uh, there's my huckleberry, um, comes into play here where I'm buying out of state. I don't know anything about that area. And the listing agent has a fiduciary responsibility to the seller, which means at your expense, they need to get that property sold. At your detriment, they could sell that property to you. And so what I always recommend is that you talk to your local real estate agent, the one that was helping you in the state. For example, I'm with Remax, as, as I, over my shoulder here, can show you. Um, what I can do is I have a network where I can dial in and find three local experts that are in that area that I can refer you to those agents. So you tell me, hey, do you want a big agent? Do you want a small agent? Do you want a team? Do you want somebody that specializes just in land? And then what we do is we connect you with that agent. That agent then will represent you as a buyer, go in and actually tell you, hey, this side of town isn't hot right now. You know, there's a lot of mudslides. There's a lot of uh, issues with zoning. There's a lot of issues with um, hunting, whatever it is. You, you don't want to be on that side of the, the mountain or the, the prairie or whatever it is. And they're going to guide you properly. And so I think that there's, you know, in, in some cases, uh, I do agree with Chris where the listing agent is the quickest, easiest um, way to buy cases when I'm buying out of state, which means usually I'm buying in an area I don't understand 100%. I just know that I like being there. Um, I would I would harness the local expert um, to probably guide me. I would. And I, I would say that 99% of the time, except for what this property this lady is looking for. And uh, I just don't think it's, uh, I think it's one of those things that uh, maybe they're they're not going to come up a lot. I mean, we talk about restrictions and covenants and land that you can just put a camper on. And there's a lot of land you can't do that with. I was just, that's what I was just going to say. What if, what if she yeah. bought that land and didn't read the, the local rules and didn't know that, hey, the west side of town doesn't allow campers and she bought this big, beautiful piece of land and Jackie now can't camp on it? True. You know, and the other thing is, if she's looking for a particular area, I would... You know, if this area is 20 square miles, I would say, hey, yeah, get someone to help you. But if this area is 300 square miles that she's willing to go, you know, you're not going to get 17 different agents looking for you in 17 different spots with maybe hopefully, maybe, maybe kind of hopefully maybe you'll buy something for thirty thousand dollars. It's just not it's not realistic. Jackie's looking for freedom. Going to go camp uh, and take off. Uh, next one, uh, we have a correction, I think, here from uh, Hey, Nick, ask her, would you get, when you send her a message back, see if I can camp on her land when I get my sprinter. <laughs> when she buys her land. I'll help or her. She, I'll help her. If she's watching, she should comment right now. Okay, Love Week, I think, corrected you guys. 70 to 90% disabled vet get 150000 reduction in property value assessment. 100% disability, disability vet gets 300000 in home value assessment tax reduction in most counties in Minnesota. Every state is different. That's our vet right there, Mr. Ludwig. Yeah, awesome. That's awesome. So it only it only goes up to 300000 so that's cool. Of uh, tax assessment. So that doesn't necessarily mean what their house is valued. Uh, so if you have a $400,000 house, it might only be as tax assessed at 300000 So the 100% rule would still apply, but interesting. Let's let's rapid fire these last three from our, our loyal listener, Greg. Do you have strategies for when a property sells before the seller can find a new place to live? 
Andy's office turns into a bed and breakfast. Uh, hello, Mom. Yeah, it's me and my kids. I was wondering if the dog and the kids live with you for a little while. Uh, I think those phone calls are made more than the parents want to hear nowadays. I'll tell you what, I don't promise anything anymore because of the, the rental shortage right now. Um, but it's a big thing. I mean, it's it's kind of the, the chicken or the egg. You know, if you're trying to get a house and you're trying to buy it contingent upon selling your house, you might not get that house at the end. So you have to kind of figure out different strategies. And I'll tell you what, it's gotten a lot better now, a lot better, because um, the market is not as crazy as it once was. So people yep. are accepting contingent offers, especially if your house is very sellable. So if I'm going to go buy a house and it's going to be six to seven hundred thousand, and I've got a three hundred thousand house to sell, more likely as a seller, I'm going to kind of be able to keep my price because it's contingent, and I'm not worried one bit about you selling that other place. So right, well, I'm, I mean, not, I'm okay to do it. Buyers, buyers that want your property too. If you're selling a property that's in high demand, will accept having you as a seller have a contingency where you have up to 60 days to find a property of your choice. Um, you know, so you lock up the buyer and then you have 60 days to secure the purchase of another property. I've seen that. I've also seen where people are selling the properties, closing and doing up to a three month rent back where they can rent back the property they live in until they find a property of their choice. Two more. Uh, does the Metro have mobile closing companies that come to you? Probably the best thing that happened in real estate through COVID was uh, the changing of uh, how closings get done. And uh, much more, uh, it used to be everyone packed into a room, everyone signed together, everyone talked, everyone either fought each other or loved each other. Then they left and went and got their house. Now everyone's signing on their own. Uh, title companies are starting to um, send people right to the houses. It's been happening on refinances for a long time. But uh, very, very good change in the in the industry. What is the status of Pilgrim Point? Uh, that is a development that they uh, boist there. An old uh, Christian converted into lots. And uh, the development is being developed as we speak. The sewer's going in. Um, the, uh, uh, I don't know how to, how to answer that. A little close to home there. I may or may not be an investor in that uh, and own a piece of that. Breaking news, Nick. Breaking news. Hey, don't forget to uh, like. Give us some hearts on this Facebook if you like it. Uh, we stream on uh, Spotify, iTunes, every podcast platform. We post three clips a week on our Facebook, short and digestible. They're fun. Remember, send us in any questions. Please leave us reviews and show your support. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.